Welcome to the Open Book Podcast. What you're about to hear is a live recording of an event that took place at the Open Book Festival in September 2022. In this discussion called Value and Visibility, Diane de Torre Alberter, Chase Reese, and Lester Volberg discuss the politics of being seen with Nelika de Jager. Here's their conversation. Everyone, thank you very much for being here and for supporting Open Book and the Book Lounge. My name is Nelika de Jager. I am not Haji Dawi. Um, she is unfortunately <laughs> ill today, so at um, 8 o'clock this morning I got a message asking if I could um, support and help. So um, it's a bit like doing an onvoorbereide mondeling. So, so um, yeah, it, I have to say it is a privilege to be here though um, with three such accomplished writers. I managed to get um, Lester's manuscript this morning and I was able to glance through just bits of it. Um, Chase's work I know somewhat. I know Kinnis and I know quite a few of the columns. And Bottle Break Neck, um, my colleague Truise published and I read the manuscript. So it is a privilege to be here. Thank you very much for being here this morning. And after 45 minutes, you'll get a chance to also ask questions. Um, all right, so shall we get started? Um, firstly, uh, we have Lester Volberg on my right. He is from Grabau, but he was also in Japan for eight years. And these days, uh, he has a degree in biochemics. Um, and these days, he bakes um, sourdough bread and also <laughs> rye bread sometimes. Metzaiaplanki, <laughs> I just want to add. Um, and Lester has published short stories and most recently, in fact, literally just now, a novel titled Alton Plykis. Um, it is Plykis. See, see, wir? Alton Plykis. Plykis, not Plykis, not Plykis. It is a dark novel. Um, it talks about violence, about repression, about children being in positions where they shouldn't be found. Um, but Alton, Alton's story really is very, very, very powerful. And um, Lester, you have a very, very major gift for writing. Vivid the landscape als. So ek wonder, wacht, laat ek eerst alle intro's doen, and then you can do um, a short passage, each of you. Okay. Dan het ons vir Chais Ries. Chais um, weet baie van julle al wie dit is. Um, he's also been on a quite a few panels so far during the festival. Kinnis was his first book, first produced as a play in 2017-2018. And, <laughs> <laughs> and now the columns Misfit, um, with an endorsement by Nathaniel Nogal. And um, Misfit is a collection, selection, it's a selection, hey, not a collection, yeah. of um, columns in the rapport. And I have to say that I am a very long-tant column reader because I always find that read, writers become formulaic very quickly. And Chase really has a gift for, um, just in terms of the humanity with which you write about people, um, yeah, the good and the bad. And anyway, so Chase will read a passage for us just now as well. And then we have Diane de Toy Albertse, and she is here from Springbok, uh, grew up in Springbok. She is now teacher in dramatic arts at Wurschkel Okip, very soon with her own studio, which is going to be fabulous. And... Um, uh, Diane is a poet and a performer, and this novel also has an interesting story about how it became 
book from being poems, I think, if I remember correctly, but like with Chase, with, um, with Kinnis, that also became a novel. So before we delve into more depth which e with each of the books and get back to the theme, because that is my mondeling, um, we will ask each of them to read a small passage um, that they select themselves from the book. Well, I also made suggestions. <laughs> okay. Lester? Oh. I just want to check. Have any of you read Alton Baikis yet? Thank you. Yes. Okay. All right. I can really thank you, Jeremy. Um, I can really recommend it. Um, I love the landscape as well, the Grabau. Um, yeah. It's very, it's, yeah. Okay. Go for it. Um, I chose chapter two. It's one of the, um, there are six boys, they all in first person. Um, they're all victims. But, um, this is, this is one of them, so it's in their voice. Uh, okay, chapter two. I'm Luciano Mayer. I was from Easterova. I was 14 years old and I liked reading. I had no purpose in the classroom. The teacher droned on about wars somewhere in Europe, France maybe. It was a Friday. Outside those brick walls and wire fences, life went on without me and I had more exciting things to do. I could have been home finishing my library book. Out the classroom window, over the empty netball courts, through the gaps in a wire fence, and onto the row of cinder block flats next to the school, I took in my world. I saw a woman standing by the railing on the top floor of one of the blocks. She clenched the sleeve of her jersey to her palm and dragged her wrist over one cheek, then the other. I read the message under the desk. See you at the station. Okay, I replied. 7 p.m.? I typed yes. All afternoon, I avoided mummy. Mummy went on about praline next door, was going to Stellenbosch. Clever child, that one, very hardworking. Her hands stand wrong for nothing. Will make a good wife, but you, my poor son, can forget about her. She's too good for you. You'd be lucky to find someone who can even spell her own name. I was at the station at 7 o'clock. The man in the white figo stopped next to me. I thought about turning around and going back home, but if I did that, I would have been the worthless bangbrook mummy always said I was. He rolled down the passenger window. How's it? I said I was fine. Jump in. We were in the afternoon traffic. We passed shopping malls with screaming lights and garages, garages ticketing lines of cars in and out. Everyone was heading home. He was handsome. A strong nose, full lips, not too old. Safe, I thought. We were on the edge of a raised area above a plain that stretched all the way to the big city. I could see a lit up table mountain from there. There was an N1, a ribbon of headlights and brakes, tangerine suburbs. We drove past rows of identical mansions, a black or navy blue SUV passes going the other way. The houses and the street lights ended and we Drove past a big round cement thing in an open field with a clump of tall slender pines at the farthest end. Have you been this way before? He asked me. I shook my head and asked him if it was far where we were going. We're here, he said, pulling air through his teeth with a soft whistle. He turned off onto a short dead-end gravel road. And we drove as far as a heap of rubbish. The moon was out, plastic bags crinkled in the bush. The man didn't have a wedding ring, but I imagined him married. He seemed awkward in his clothes, like a man whose wife dressed him. 
He leaned over. Can I kiss you? He asked me. He stubbled, grazed my face. My heart beat against my ribs. Calm down, I told myself. My seat fell back and he moved on top of me. He put his hand under my top and pinched my nipple. His body stiffened. He grew heavy and pinned me to the seat. I told him to move. He was, crash he was crushing my lungs. Then his hand stroked my neck. I beat my fists on his back. His nails pressed into my skin. I hit his sides. I opened my mouth to say, sorry, mommy, but the tongue felt swollen. I could feel my heart beat at the tip. Then mommy was shouting. Mommy said I wasn't sorry, and that sorry is not sorry if I didn't bother to change my cuck attitude. Mommy was right in a way. I wasn't sorry. Despite everything, I would have done it again every single time. Okay, that's that's one um, small snippet of um, of Alton Baikis. Um, perhaps the first question I should ask before we move to Chase is, um, what made you decide to write from Alton's perspective? Um, I didn't want to write like a a crime novel. I, I think I needed to understand what makes people do things like this, you know, atrocious acts, taking people's lives. And, and um, I wrote the book because I wanted to understand, like, in a, in maybe get some answers, like, how could this person who grew up in communities that I know, how could, how would he be able to do such things? And um, I think it was important to write it from his perspective to try and understand um, who he is, where he was coming from, what made him this person. Did you find like. answers in the end? Of no, the there were more questions. <laughs> Just more questions. Just more questions, but um, yeah, I don't think it's a thing that can be answered in a simple, simple way. I think that's something that really um, just when I was looking through your novel this morning and with both Kinnis and even in the columns and of course Bottleneck Breakback, the simmering violence underneath it all in different ways. Um, there's this passage you quote by the profiler that we can maybe look at later that tries to explain um, why, why that happens. Um, maybe read one of your passages and then we can talk about how the columns for you do you try and find answers through the columns in how you write? And, and if you find answers... What are they? <laughs> yes. yes. Yeah. Sure. I'm going to read a piece that I don't think I've read in public before. Oh, yes. Um, but I think it matches this topic about visibility and being seen, and it's called Hello Operator. Yes, I seem to have lost the connection, which is a lyric from a song. Anyway. You'll hear about it. Ik is by a spogerige media geleentheid. Ik en my nieuwe colored vrinne sing a raw band number. Now when I look at the clouds across the moon. Beite op die balkene. Is die eerste keer wat ek die mense ontmoet, ons het vroeger in die partykamer connect toe ek met hulle ook muziek gepraat het. Ik gejoke dat ik in die uh, organizers, ik kan vir hulle vraag of hulle my code kan insit, you know, en my phone inplug van die jol mykje, a beetje jaad numbers. 
noem ons nou ons beginsel in old school jazz liedjies en liedjies en ons gaan uit smoking section toe en ons sing. Ons verhouding is versteek toe ons oor bashoes praat en hoe unfair het is dat ons die geel koko pina borrel gekry het wanneer die beste flavor soos iron brew net vir the big people was. Die type basic collectieve herinneringe van ons kinderjare laat ons voel dat ons tesame opgegroei het. So word vreemdelinge uit verskillende vlakte skeme so maar vinnig familie. Ek dreerig hier verwacht dat ek sikke verbinding zie by die event so kon maakie because last year was daar sikke so vijf people of color by die function. Maar toe ek die jaar hier uitstek, sien ek dat die organizers die moeite gedoen het om die kamer meer diverse te maak. By die vorige event was daar maar min keer soveel conversation, meeste van my tyd is gespandeer met die bebaarde man, wat aan my blau afro geraak het en my aanhouding gevraagd is J. Allright Marge Simpson. True story. Maar die jaar is hier genoeg van ons, dat ek eers later in die aand oplet, dat ek nog eers met een wit mens gepraat het hier. Net soos ek die dink, ko een van die eventse organizers, a groot kop in die mediebedrijf, uit Balkany toe. My Coco Pina Choir raak so maar stil, en hulle gaan in. Ek gee die mijn konijn eekjesses, en sê sê, Chase, ek toch, jy is nie hier vanavond nie. Ek sê, rarig, ek wees na die party toe, ek was aan die hele tijd daar binne. Van die balkany kan een mens die hele kamer sien dier die floor-to-ceiling vensters. Ek hou my nieuwe nigies en nieuwies dop soos hulle na tafels in die hoeken verspreid. Ek besef toe, al my interacties het vanavond aan die periferie van die kamer gebeur. Ek het eers genotis dat ons heel aand net in hoekies die nie mere of buite gepraat het die. Grootkop trek hart aan een eentje en blaas die roek uit met die tevrede smaal dat lyk mooi daar binnen na The Rainbow Nation. Ek frons obviously sien sy dit die. Ek sê, kyk, ek weis het uit vir haar. Al die wit mense sit in die middel van die kamer en ons sit aan die rand. Sy sta lang na haar gaste Wel, ek weet, dit is nogals intimiderend, maar ons het jylle genooi en dit is nou jylle taak om die ruimte op te eis. Ek wonder as die invitation alleen genoeg is. Moet die mense in die middel van die kamer nie meer doen om ons in te brengie, vraag ek. Nou kom, grootkop grijp my hand, ek vat jou in. Sy lei my na een tafel in die middel van die kamer, Die mense kyk my verwachtend aan en my sociale angst vat oor. Ek hakkel en ek praat die mekaar oor oxcodes en cooldrinks. En by die tyd wat ek die chorus van die raar band liedjie begin, besef ek dat niemand by die tafel saam my gaan sing hier. Ken hulle dan nie die saam hier? Ek stop en trek my skouwers op vir grootkop. A sachte applaus wat erens in die hoekie afkom maak my lach. Ek verlang na my familie op die fringes. Grootkop vleiste iets in my oor. Ek dink jy sê weet dat sy die laaste lyric van Clouds Across the Moon aanhaal. Sy sê, I'll try again next year.
much. <laughs> okay. I, I want to come back to this topic of fringes because it also links with um, visibility and value. Um, so let, let's make a note on that. Okay. Specifically about the subtitle of the book as well. Okay, Diane, can you for us lees? I think I can look a bit longer lees as the deal as what we thought. Diane's book's also just been released. Chases came out about two months ago, so the copies are available downstairs. The publisher is speaking. Thank you. Good morning. To defend your book, yeah, let's say. Page one six two. My hoops wapper, vier kant, lerk achter, soos ek stap. Ek dink aan jou soos ek kloot, grootma. Jou bloed in my aarde en jou bloed op Godse hande. Dalk grootpaasing. Wens net maag hoe kon my die waarheid vertel het. Dalk lieg sy nie en het grootma net besluit om jou te steel van ons. Hy het jou net so weggeskeer uit ons familiealbum. Al die foto's is middeldeer. God was blij die selfsichtig. Hy soek jou net vir homself. En hy is groot pa. Die pad word al donkerder. Hoe meer bekende traak. Stappie hospitaal voorbij. Waan maan Boeta geboore is. Geboorte is echt een fokkel vir my. Want ek is een vrou met een tril wie haar kinders al moet kies in die kraan. Ook omdat ek hier geboore wou wees hier. Ge, het het sonder my toestemming gebeur. Een groep plaaswerkers achter op een dabbelke bakkie skree. Yes, Amanda! Ek sit maar my sannies op en stap die landskap van my maas een groot woord door deur. Sy paaikies word aare en die sand is my maas een binnengoed. Ek is een virus wat maagoedse weedpoint kom soek. Dis jy nog altyd groot maak. Lei my na die plek van jou bene. Let's start with the topic of margins. Misfit, what is the subtitle? And can you tell us why the subtitle is what it is? Sure, misfit stories van die ander kant. Of course, misfit is an English word, so... Uh, practically it's an Afrikaans book and we needed a big Afrikaans title so that means understand when you see it in the bookstores it's an Afrikaans book my story is funny Anakant we were bitchy like um, uh, because Anakant clunk a bitchy like Halloween-y um, mm. you know spooky but it's the Anakant um, but ain't like I'm the Anakant uh, as a misfit uh, wherever I am I feel like I'm always the anakant. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm always an anakant, even in these communities that I'm supposed to belong to, these queer communities, these brown communities, wherever I go, I still feel like I'm the anakant. Also, where I live, the book is mainly set in Ocean View, which is literally on the anakant from uh, this mountain, Table Mountain, it's on the anakant, anakant van die kaap. Um, and so that setting alone, uh, that term anakant means 
community, it means me, and it means misfit, you know? Whoever identifies as a misfit, you often feel like you're on the other side of your interaction or outside of your interaction, you know? So, yeah, Daisy, unaccount. So, do you think by writing about the unaccount, you make the opposite of the unaccount, hirikant? Yes, yeah. How do you do that? Um, by writing about the unaccount, does it become decant? Because I feel like, yes, Terry Ann actually said in our interview uh, initially, like, as queer people, as brown people, all these marginalized groups from the past, we are now decant. <laughs> you know, we're not the anacant. It's sort of this heteronormative white cisness that is, I don't think so, but it's moving towards there that is now actually being made to feel like they are the anacant. I don't see those divisions really like that. Um, why, why not? Explore that for me a bit further. Why, why, okay, you think, you think that there is a kind of a shift happening from a diacant, not decant yeah, too, yeah. But, but you think that it's very slow still and not enough happening. It's slow still, it, it's moving, it looks, it feels to the people in the middle, mm -hmm. the people who are in the center, it feels, or the way they are responding to our existence, feels like it's an attack and we're coming and we're winning, you know, the margins are encroaching. Um, it's not actually, the, the reality is, as you saw me, we are just now beginning to step into the margins. The periphery is now becoming, coming into the center, but it's always worked like that. Can I just say that the margins where I exist, where we live, has always dictated what happens in the center, but the center usually takes from the margins in, and, and then stays in the center. So what's happening now is the people from the margins are taking their place in the center, and for some reason, some people don't know how to handle that. That's exactly what you said in your story. Yeah. Okay, we, we're coming back to that. My binary is Maybe we should just quickly have the intro about, about um, pronouns, because we didn't do the intro about pronouns in the beginning. Yes, okay. Yeah, um, uh, she, her, and occasionally they, them. Okay. And Queen and Lady D as well. <laughs> Chase? Uh, just they, them. Okay. Him, his. Okay, thank um, you. Hello. Oh, okay. Thank you. Look, occasional. <laughs> occasional. <laughs> Okay. And you? Um, um, I, I'm, I'm just like chi, I think. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But thanks for asking. Yeah. Okay, Lester, um, talk to me about m margins. Was there something about margins that you wanted to make visible as well in the novel? Um, yes, I agree with what Chase said. There's a, um, you always belong to something. You belong to a family, you belong to a community. Um, but then you also be, you have to belong to yourself. You have to be an individual in that community as well. And um, it's how you relate whatever's going on inside of you and who, how you define yourself. And um, it's always a struggle to, to find that balance between who you are and who you are inside the community. And um, if you can get those two very close to each other, that I think that would be the ideal. Um, in terms of a bigger perspective as well, taking your community and putting it in the center where they previously were in the margins. Um, but I think it should be an individual struggle um, at the start because, I mean, if you're not going to sort yourself out, yeah. 
first. How are you going to change anything else? Daniel? Yeah, yeah, I also agree with what uh, Lester is saying of the collective idea and the individual idea. For it to move closer to one another would be ideal, but we're also humans and we're also flawed. Because I already know the, the image that I put out in my community where I'm from. It's, it's a bit far from who I am as well. Um, but of course, the collective ideal for me is extremely important because the trans and gender diverse community from Namakwaland, I, I take the girls everywhere along and we also see each other as a collective and we also see Botanik Breekbeek as the start of many stories still coming from each of us. So, so yes, looking at we on the margins, we are marching in together and not individually, we are marching in together. Uh, something that as a publisher I've always wondered about and, and struggled with and in theatre as well is can books actually change one's attitude about things? Um, do you find that as writers that you're often put in a position where you have to become a spokesperson for something? I think that comes back to the value and the visibility. Um, for me, one of the things I admire most about writers is the, is the, um, the braveness um, with which they have to sit in silence and write with no one there, the loneliness of it but then having to sit on a platform like this today and having to speak about what the books represent. That comes back to value, to visibility. Um, do you find that hard, Diane? Um, yeah, ach, my, my writing has always been performative. So, um, but yeah, talking about it is something different as to performing it. If I could, I would just perform the whole bloody book instead of talking about it. Because <laughs> I feel like, yeah, it, you know, you can make your own ideas around it. Why must I explain it? Because I, um, like you said, you need to now be responsible for something. A lot of readers now see you as this responsible being. I get a lot of parents coming to me asking advice on the, the non-binary or transgender children. And sometimes it can be quite hectic, like, yeah, just go love your child. Why ask me? Yeah, it's not my kid. But, and it's also not a book, a, a guideline book, yeah. It's a story, and we must look into each other's stories. Um, so, yeah. Am I yeah. answering your question? Absolutely, and I, I think that's the point that I also wanted to come to, is, is where is the I versus mm. the narrator versus the story? And I know for a fact that you've also been asked many times, but are you that character? Mm. How do you reply to that? Uh, I, I know I said once, it's my alter ego, Soma, but most of my characters are alter egos. Because I'm a bit of a fan, Malanstein, who was my um, writing lecturer, was kind of a semi-method writer. So, yeah, that's quite interesting with the drama background to also experience what you write about can't write about something you haven't experienced. So go out and go love. So, uh, yeah. Um, Chase, there, there's a fabulous piece um, about the actress, what's it called? The TV. The TV. There's a, the, it's a fabulous scene towards the end where she says, 
I just wish people would realize that I am not that woman in the soap opera. It's not me. It's not me. Do you find it the same? Is the chase in the column the same person as the one sitting here? Is the chase in my columns? Yes, I would say so. Absolutely. Um, because the, though the book says it's fiction, uh, it did actually happen. All of these things actually happened to me. Um, the, so the experience is real, and so it did happen to me, and so I'm writing from that experience. I'm always, write, I'm always thinking before I start the column, but did it made my career, what happened to me this week, and then writing from there. So that automatically makes the character me, you know? Sometimes, sometimes, the other character is also me in the column. Sometimes I'm speaking to myself, but I can't just do that. Hello, it's not going to read well. So I create another character. Mm. So I realize something on my own, you know, and then I'm like, okay, but uh, let me just create another character. So we make a scene. So it's me talking to someone else, but this other person is also me. And this other person is often teaching me a lesson that I had learned, you know? So the chase in this book is kind of very, <laughs> I always told my friend, like, uh, as I was writing uh, the word shock came up most often. Mm. Uh, so the character in the chase in this was like this shocked person, you know? Mm. Per me shocked by what is happening <laughs> in yeah, the so shocked. Um, and so I, I like to take that role mm. of this sort of innocent, the chase is this innocent, you know, looking at the world through these lenses, but the other character is also me, and whatever I learn, they teach me, mm. you know, in, the, in the, these stories. Yeah, like discovering new things about yourself yes, in, yeah. in a way. Well, that's something you do as well, Esther, if you think about the amount of perspectives you have in the book. Um, yeah. is the children are all the... I mean, it's the first-person narrator, and then you have um, Baikis in a third person. Yes. Um, and then also Junaid. Maybe tell people about Junaid. Um, I firmly believe that there's a series there, Karina, with Junaid. Mm. Um, um, yeah, know. I wouldn't like to think that I, you know, the killer is a part of me, but he probably is, like some parts of him. You, if, you, if you write, I mean, undoubtedly, it's from your perspective and it's coming from you, so each of these characters has a bit of me, but I like to think that I relate most with Junaid, a lot of, I'm closer to him than any of these, uh, that I can relate to him more, more easily. Um, like the things that he struggles with uh, um, is similar to mine. Um, the others are just bits and parts of what I am. Um, what I was going to say about performance and representation, which you asked um, at first, is that I, I, I wouldn't want to sit here and think that I represent the community or culture or anything. This is just my perspective um, from things I wouldn't want to talk for anybody else. But um, in that, if people read the book, maybe they will see themselves in some of the characters, um, hopefully, um, so they can relate in a way to, to, to those kind of um, situations that, and, and feelings and struggles that these people go through. Um, what was the question? The other one. <laughs> no, but Going cannot, back to the different perspectives. Oh, I, I just want to add to that. You'd, I, I do feel like I'm re representing a community mm -hmm. and the people, because maybe because it's not fiction and it's Ocean View is a real place, mm. and well, the characters in there, I don't use their real names, like Groetkop is a real person, but obviously that's not her name. <laughs> um, so I do feel like I'm representing 
uh, people. I'm representing just by, because of who I am and where I'm, my environment. I'm representing my community, colored people, queer people, mm. gender non-conforming people. Um, and I, I take that as a responsibility. It's not a burden. Mm. Uh, it I, th I, th I, I agree with you in that way, but I'm um, sorry, Chase, but for me, the responsibility is more like, not outwards, but inwards, mm. like from myself. You know, I need to, because I grew up in this community, I know these people, mm. and um, if I can be as honest and upfront and as possible mm. about who I am and how I grew up in this community, yeah. that is my idea of representing yeah. um, truthfully. Yeah. Whatever yeah, my yeah, yeah. I agree is, with you. On I, that. I, I, I don't think I. Hold yeah. on, no, please. please. <laughs> <laughs> the point Sorry. is because the whole thing is our people, colored people, and whatever groups I'm on, have not been represented with dignity yeah. a lot at all in the past, especially not in literature. Mm -hmm. So that is what I mean by responsibility. It's just giving, yeah. no matter if it's the priest or the teacher or the scholar or the prisoner, it's representing my people with fucking dignity. dignity. That's what it's. That's what it means to be responsible. In yeah, I want to say yeah. Honesty is also very important for me because all three of us are writing from places where we also yeah. were settled yeah. in. So the honesty of also not being a face, but also just carrying the heart through in our words mm. is more important. Yeah, but it shouldn't feel like a responsibility because yeah. we're just honest about. Um, Chase, you write for, for what I view quite a conservative Afrikaans newspaper. How, how does that make you feel? No, no, I think, the, I think this is exactly the kind of things we need to explore because it's fascinating. Do you, do you feel, well, obviously you've just used the word responsibility, what, what kind of responses do you get? Do, do you feel like you're shifting something via the columns? Absolutely. These, when I started, when they, because they approached me, I'd never written, I didn't know what the column was. But the newspaper approached me and was like, can you do these columns, etc. Yeah, I don't know what it is, but yes. Uh, and I was like figuring out, now this isn't my audience, right? Because yeah. when I wrote Kinnis, the, 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 the dedication is for us. Because in my head, I'm like, it's for us, my community. I mean, you read caps, you speak caps. It's for us. And so suddenly, I'm now writing for what I imagine is not us, it's these conservative Afrikaans, um, even though they told me the readership is 50-50 brown people and white Afrikaans speakers, um, I still was like, who are these report readers? And so initially for the first few columns, I was writing not for my men, so I was, like, I was trying okay. to figure out Interesting, that's what I wanted things, to get you know? to, yeah. Uh, so I had sort of, these are my report columns, and then yeah. when I was like, let me put them in a book, then I wrote, because I wanted fresh columns that were never before seen for this book specifically, so then I was like, oh, and these are my columns for my audience. So there was sort of this distinction. It's conservative columns, my columns. Mm. My columns dealt more with gender, uh, things that I was like, assumed that this conservative audience wouldn't want to hear. Gender, queerness, neurodivergence, uh, drugs, dacha being grown in a primary school, you know, all those things. I was like, spirituality. spirituality, yeah. So those are all like my stories for my audience. And at one point, at one week, I couldn't come up with a column. And I was like, well, I've got this reservoir <laughs> of columns for my audience. I'm bung. I'm so scared to take a misfit book column and put it in the newspaper because what are you going to say? What is the audience going to say? And it was a trans, it was a column about Dave Chappelle and his transphobia and punching up, punching down. 
And I was like, oh, you're what can mean to say? I was so scared. Um, and those columns that come from my book to the newspaper are the ones that I get the most response in, positive response. Sure. Uh, inboxes from people who are saying, thank you, donkey, that JD described it and that you put it in this newspaper. Because like I say in this one, it's pretty babies. And I always imagine a report reader reading the newspaper is like someone's kid. Someone's mm. child who sees, oh, there's the report newspaper, my oversetted cook, but there's a little sticky in the back, a little block every week that is for me, you know? So in my head, like, that is, that is what it is. Oh, but, but my point <coughs> is, actually, there's no more distinction for me. All right. Yes. There's, so there's been a shift for there's you. There's been a shift. Whatever's wow. in the book, I will okay. put in the newspaper. I find that comforting. Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay, I want to come back to Grabau. Um, I finished reading Compound um, two weekends ago, finally. Ronaldo is Comfort, for those of you who haven't read it. Um, an incredible novel, uh, also set in the Overberg to a large extent. Um, also deals with violence. Um, but right after that book, I read The Firekeeper's Daughter by a Native American writer set close to Canada. And she talks about blanket parties. Now, I'm going to tell you about this because I find it a very interesting conversation with Compone and with violence that all three of you write about in different ways. Um, a blanket party in this novel is where um, if a man in the community um, hit his woman, then a whole bunch of women would kidnap him in the middle of the night and take him to the forest and cover him with blankets and they would kick him until he's really bruised. And then every, um, everyone would know the next day when he went to school, wherever, as a leader figure, they would know that he actually beats his woman at night. Um, and I, I'm coming back to that because it's, again, the point of, of violence that you all three write about. You really also explore that to a dark sense. If, if we talk about a society changing, do we also talk about how writing can shift that where it dislodges that sense, that thing that you write about, um, it's in the paragraph here. I don't know whether you took all of that out in the final text or not, but there's a hectic piece by the profiler that says, um, this man doesn't kill because he's gay. People don't kill because they're straight. Um, we don't see homosexual people necessarily as fully functional. We're blah, 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 blah. I'm going to carry on to this. The foundation of um. our society is the base heteronormative structures of males and females cohabiting and producing offspring. All our morals and values are filtered through this system. Do you think... Do you think I made that up, but... Yeah. You made that up. <laughs> it's fiction. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. But it is a really powerful piece in the in the in the book where you explore where someone like Elton's violence comes from. Um, yeah. It's like basically, I reckon it comes back to uh, visibility and being seen. Um, if you don't fit into that mold, you automatically disappear um, because you're not represented in any way. And that's why, like Chase said, representation is very important. Um, through that um, heterosexual normative um, system that we live in. Um, yeah, you basically disappear. And I think um, these acts and whatever these people do, these boys go to meet this strange man 
um, they're not being seen. They want to be seen, so they go and see him. Um, and from his side as well, he's, he's lived his whole life. He's 36 or 38 years old now. And um, everything around him tells him that he's not visible. Mm. Um, work, jobs, um, his own personal uh, struggles that he that he can't seem to get over with and not necessarily from the outside. Um, people tell him all the time um, what he is and what he isn't. So it's like, I think from that is, from that statement, it's like I was thinking about the possibilities of such an outcome, which is where we live in and which is the kind of world that we live in, and all these, this, this is possible. It happens. It happens every day. Uh, it will continue to happen until um, these people get, you know, value and voice. through a voice, through being seen and you know feeling it, feeling it in inside of them. Because it's all about perception as well. You might people might see you, but you have a block inside of you that you're not um, able to to consolidate it with sisters. There's also the opposite, ne? if you think about what, what Sheila does at the end towards that cop. Yeah. Um, yeah it's, yes. it's one of the most brutal scenes in the book for me, uh, where she takes her power back. Mm. Um, do you want to say something about that scene? Yeah, yeah. I spoke a bit with uh, Bettina on uh, Thursday about it, when we spoke about police violence uh, in South Africa and how we feel so um, powerless and unsafe in South Africa as a country. But was Sheila, yeah, then just decides, what is all the police aren't gonna save me, my family isn't gonna save me, nobody around me is looking out for me, and I want my power back. So much has been taken from this character since childhood. And then she just decides, you know what, Gal, very much inspired by Ed Wood, did this black and white movie, uh, The Violent Years, where it's a bunch of, oh, the girls, what harm, steal, and they steal cars, and they rape men, and they kill people, and rob banks. And they this, like not so, they perfect girls out there. But there was something powerful to me, even though it's brutal and horrible as well, but about reclaiming thy power mm. and also showing all of us can be perpetrators. And yeah. the line between victim and yeah. perpetrator is also, ooh, it's so thin. It's a thin yeah. line. So, yeah, actually deciding, you know what, some more with everyone. I also want a piece of this. I can't continue being the victim. I also need something back, mm. yeah. And then, yeah, she does what she... She does what she does. Yeah, what she it's, it's, it's a powerful but, scene. Yeah, I, I also just want to comment, uh, Lester. You say the writing this actually gave you just more questions instead of sense. But it feels to me like at least some empathy. Empathy. For the yes, perpetrator. empathy for the perpetrator, trying to understand where that yeah. person is coming from. But then also you need to act on that. As a person, for me, I'm taking it as an individual responsibility to be always intentional yes. with um, seeing that person. Because you know, if if I don't do it, then it comes back to what what you how you 
put yourself out. Yes. And a lot of times there, it's just yeah, that yeah, a um, bit of love, you maybe got in your mm, life more than that person yes. that made the difference. Yeah. Because it's a lovelessness. It's a mm. seeking for love. Mm. A lot of these attacks on uh, queer bodies, it's this your intense need to express love. Mm. But love and violence can also be so... Mm. Yeah, dear Yeah, I was also trying to understand why all these violence against people who are different from you, um, like especially queer bodies. Yes. And I think it's because um, it's, it's fragile masculinity. They don't, it doesn't fit into the mold of who they are. And um, yeah. they, if they accept us, if they bring us and then they have to start all over and, and, and build themselves up and redefine them in some way that most people don't want to do. I, I asked the question, like we are all asked mm. with our work, and we talk specifically we'll about my previous book, Kinnis. I asked the question because it's about a child, a baby, six month old baby being killed. <laughs> and because there's so many kids being killed uh, in my community through, through being shot. And I asked the question, because I'm in there and I'm stressed and I've got kids on my, not on my own, but living with my nieces, and I'm worried about them and I'm going, why is this happening to us? So let me write about this and try to figure it out. And the, and, and the answer I got was t terrifying. And I, I was quite shaky about it. I, in Kinnis, I wrote Anwar, and people would say, but you're writing Anwar the shooter so beautifully. He's so charming. We love him, you know? Sure. Um, and I wrote that, and then Anwar accidentally, he doesn't mean to, he unintentionally shoots this baby. Mm. And so my, I was like, oh, he was kind of innocent, you know, like in that it wasn't intentional. That was my answer I got when I wrote the book. And the fact is, it is intentional. Mm. It happens too much that it's, it's not an accident. And I, that, was what, that was an answer that I got, that it's, that there are, there are monsters <laughs> who are killing babies and killing children and knowingly doing it. Mm. And so that answer that I got after writing like, is terrifying. So it's not always like, let me write and get the answer and like, yes. see what it is. Mm. Like Sometimes the answers you don't even expect and you, you, I don't know how to deal with that. I don't know how to deal with yeah. the fact that <laughs> these are people living in my space. You know? yeah. Yeah, but that is far work I chase because I mean, how many attacks in the past few years have been by children? Children are also yeah. perpetrators. Yeah. Oh. Uh, that is what is yeah. so, mm -hmm. Even if we look at David Orlane, what happened there, um, yeah. Kervin Fortein, mm -hmm. also the murder day. Mm -hmm. It was underage kids, mm -hmm. but they did good Burning people, raping them, killing mm -hmm. them. Mm -hmm. And then there's this lame campaign that people say, this is, um, these victims are your mother, your sister, yes. your brother, but these perpetrators, they're also your brother yeah. and your your friend. Let's open up to the audience. I think, um, just from my side, um, I salute and I honour all three of you. I think you are very brave. I think it's it's brave to sit down and write, complete something that works, that has integrity and honesty, but then also to come up on the stage and, and talk about your work, I think, is brave in a different way. So thank you. Thank I'm you. sure there are questions. If there are, please just make sure the mic is in front of your mouth before you start talking. So, questions. Come on. Don't be shy. You on? Oh. 
thanks. Sorry, I just, I'll just break the ice and just to say thanks very much. It's very powerful and moving listening to, to all of you talk about your experiences. I just wanted to ask about this question of visibility and you've all spoken so movingly about being on the fringe, feeling on the fringes and then moving into the center. Mm -hmm. And I was wondering if there's a, you know, if you sometimes feel like it's almost like a trade-off between being on the fringes and invisible, but then if you move into the center, almost sort of becoming exoticized and becoming, then now you're visible, but you're sort of treated or turned into a spectacle. Yeah. And I was just wondering if that is the experience and how do we negotiate, you know, as in, I mean, I'm very, you know, cis, white, but, uh, but I like to think of myself as an ally or I'd like to be an ally. And how do we negotiate that, if that makes sense? Yeah. Was that for all of us? I was straight once. <laughs> so I was in the center and then I moved to the fringe. Um, so I kind of have a, an idea. Even though you, I kind of have an idea about like both sides um, because I believed I was straight because it was buried my sexuality and, and I was in the closet so deep that I believed myself to be straight. Um, maybe I'm on the spirit, there's a, there's a spectrum as well, so, you know, now we know that. I didn't know that before, I thought I was, I had to choose between the two. But um, yes, there's something in, in the book also about um, people not really seeing you as, um, as normal, you know, as, as always something else, like you say, the spectacle or something. I don't know how, how you can deal with that, you know. Um, I don't have the answer for that because you, you are different from me. I, I will probably deal it, with it differently. I will um, just be as honest as I can about who I am and, and what I believe in. And then um, I, I have to make sure that I'm strong enough to take whatever uh, um, comes from that. Uh, um, so I think that is my way of dealing it mm -hmm. is to fortify myself in a way before I move into these spaces, but you, I don't know, take a run, five, 5K run in the morning. <laughs> Chase, do you also run 5Ks in the morning? <laughs> <laughs> Nelika, please. <laughs> Not where I live. Um, I, I, I just want to say your, your question is like literally related to the piece I read about me being in the center and what that feels like. Yeah, and sort of trying to communicate and being myself in the center, but having people not understand myself mm. in the center properly, and then still being supported from the margins, the soft applause coming in. So, mm. so that was literally metric, mm. and I don't know the answer. And the end, I'll try again next year, is me saying, let's keep trying. Mm. Like, you know, mm. Let's yeah. try again next year. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, maybe all three of us with fetishization and stuff and moving into a more center spot, especially work and corporate work and stuff locally there in a Makoland. And sometimes it can really be difficult when um, you're, you know, you're the type of queer you can't hide. So now everybody, someone wants to know your story. Oh, how does your parents feel about this? Mm, you know, also being in a small town, so everybody's in a skirig ook nog. And then uh, it actually being victimized against you or weaponized against you. 
Yeah, yeah Nia, you know, oh, maybe you should open up that conversation with your parents. Nia, Anaghi, you're paying my salary, you're not my psychologist, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And also just, you know, in public spaces, yeah, the negotiation of looks. I always write about the looks you receive as a member of the LGBTQ+. And sometimes I just want to say, people, calm down. I'm not a TV, you know? <laughs> if I'm a TV, I would like to get my TV license. Uh, you know? <laughs> Jeremy also has a question. Yeah, I'm just trying to make sense around the center spectacle, the center margin thing. Okay, I said no in English. Okay, let me try and do it in English. <laughs> you know, we, 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 I grew up in Elsie's, no? It was out of the as in his straight, but he's awesome. He's awesome. Oh, okay. You know, we always had this thing where, mm. where I mean, and I grew up in a very toxically masculine kind mm. of environment. Mm. But the guys in the other street, awesome. Mm. Okay, yeah, yeah. So in a sense, the, the, the way gayness was not spectacleized. Mm. You know, mm. I grew up with the clocks, uh, where it was normal in the trooper in Elsie's to have someone who plays that particular role in the clubs. Mm. So it was never seen as a spectacle. Yeah. It, it, and I'm wondering whether what you experience, where you experience where your spectacle lies, whether mm. that is not a product of where you are now moving into, mm. the terrain you are moving to, mm. into with your art, mm. that you're being brought into Rather than mm -hmm. that, and I'm, look, I'm not saying people go through tough times out there mm. on the Cape Flats if, mm. you, if, you, if you're mm. not, not straight, mm. but at least it's, some, it's a different experience in terms of the marginalization yeah. probably than the one that you would find when you move into other spaces. Yeah. Is that, I just wanted to test, is that the feature? I come from a different generation, yeah. of course, the 70s, yeah. so I approach that, but is that the, the, the way you experience it and with your art in those areas where you are now, in the NB Verot and with the publishing work? No, I would say I've all, I'd, I like to think, okay, so we like to, so, so we just, uh, the phrase that was used now, that is awesome morphy, right? Yeah. So there was like, we protect that, well, that's awesome morphy. Mm. And so, so it's almost like, oh, that's not violent, but that is violence still, yeah. you know? That is, that is a violent term. Um, and I feel like even if I had to walk to the taxi rank from my house, which is just from here to that wall, um, and I must go out now, I pack my actual outfit in my bag, and I dress butch, I wear pants, I wear, I don't, you know, I don't look femme, just to walk to the taxi rank. Because no, I'm not gonna get homur, but I am gonna get, spect I am spectacleized, I am gonna get a name which is still violent, being called a morphe. Even if I'm your morphe, I'm still, I'm still being called a morphe yeah. and it's violent. Um, so even today, yeah. I pack extra clothes in a bag because I don't want to be too spectacleized in my own community. When I come here, then I can put on my outfit and be a different type of spectacle, you know? Yes, Mr. Viri, I also come from a previous generation and that was my feeling as well that um, queer people were accepted in these small communities, um, but the caveat was as long as you stay in your lane, don't come and take our men. So like if you dare to be, yeah. Uh -huh. 
If you yes. dare to be some anything other than what you proclaim to be, then even normal, even if you look like me, mm. then it's an affront in a way. Yeah, I just want to add on that, um, Jeremy. Uh, and uh, Kobe van Amerwe, so Eugene, is a gedeelte that I terugvertel of at the scene at the beach and oh, all of them are waiting for the girls. Oh, they're so excited. And finally, they see the cars coming and it's just queer people ah, dancing out. And Kobe describes them as drag queens and I think as yeah, gay people, which I actually saw with the representation, maybe even transgender people or gender diverse at least. But they look like all the weg. They look like they have to in the car or stap moet hulle poephole nou weg yeah. <laughs> van die koeies af. En yes, het is baie komikal in ons moet ook aan, we need to laugh about the uncomfortability for us. But it also made me aware that that behavior, I'm still seeing it. So there, there's something that's not changing. Something that's maybe even just getting worse that we need to talk about. Yeah. And also sometimes it looks like hoot, I like quiet for dag na? Like sometimes that sort of Spectacalizing isn't a violent, isn't a morphe, isn't a name calling, but it's just some random stranger like making comments on your outfit, how you look. That feels violent. I'm like, I just want to exist and walk and not be bothered or not make, you know, be shouted at in any way. Even if you think you're making a compliment, oh. like, quiet for dark yes. girl. Like, just shut up. <laughs> you know? Yes, at the back. I think one more and then we have to wrap up. Just, I wanted to make a quick comment, but before I do that, I wanted to loop back to the point that Jeremy made yeah. and to say that sometimes, you know, it's, it's not, it's a little bit of everything because certainly there are moments where there's a celebration of the Vorloper in the Klopse, but I've certainly been in crowds where the Vorloper, the response that is elicited, is, generates discomfort for me. You know, sometimes an object almost of ridicule and being laughed at. Um, so, you know, it's, it's never one thing, it's a little bit of different things. But the, the comment that I wanted to make is to, chase it, to say, I am so, so thrilled to hear about how you strive to represent colored people with dignity. And you know, I say this recognizing that there is no homogenous colored culture, yeah. Yeah. but that I am so tired of the tropes um, of colored people that exist in the theater, in literature, um, the flatlining, the, reducing, the reductionist way of putting people, uh, you know, perceiving them as being funny or mm. um, uh, drunk or whatever it is, mm. that, you know, not seeing the complexity like mm. every other social grouping, the nuances, the diversity, the difference. So thank you very much for, for those efforts. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. For uh, um, uh, Thank you for being honest and, and here. And, yeah, and good luck with your writing. And thank you for you. Thank you, Delica. <laughs> <laughs>